0: Welcome. Um, This week we're going to talk about Pasha's Chay But before we begin, I would just like to add something to uh, part of what we spoke about last week. We spoke about the problem of um, telling Midrashim to children that are strange and they strain the credulity to children. And like the... uh, like the Sefer Chassidim says, I mentioned it last week. I'll read it again. Ain megalin Agoda Tmua Baymamesh You can't tell a strange Agoda, a Medrash, a to to children, because they'll say that there's no substance to it. Since this is not true, they won't believe this. They also won't believe other things, such as Kriyas Yamsuf. Don't tell Tom because they won't believe it. So, um, you know, last week we spoke about Vashti's tale, but there are many, many, I'll just give you one example. By Makas Borod, Rashi brings a Midrash, that the Rebbein Sholem is Shamayim. He picked up Moshe to do Makas Borod, and he picked him up above, above the heavens. A, you know, a very, very strange medrash. When we get the Pasha's Veira, so I'll explain to you what the medrash means. But just to take medrashim like this and tell them to the children is dangerous because they won't believe it and it undermines their emunah. So I wanted to say that we have a big problem in our community with children that go off the derech. And I understand that the reason to go off the derech is o- almost never. of philosophical reasons they go off the derech because they have yetzahorah they go off the derech because they have emotional problems but if their emunah was solid if they really really believed that rabbi shalom told moshe rabbeinu and har sinai that you have to keep shabbos it would be very difficult for them to be mechal shabbos but since their emunah may have been undermined by things that they were told in class, so their amuna became shaky. So once they have pressures of, of emotional problems or Yetzirah, then, the, uh, then the whole Shemir Shabbos could go right, right out the door. So I just wanted to point this out of how, how important it is to be very careful with the amuna of the children. And, and the Emunah, you have to be careful not to do anything, you no, know, you could tell them a lot of stories, yeah, but that's not gonna, you know, everybody has stories, you know, Christians have stories, you know, it's, you know, stories, you believe them, you don't believe them. But when you're talking about the Torah, and you're talking about the uh, Bedroshim, and you tell them things that uh, this is the Torah, and they don't believe it, that undermines their Emunah. Okay, so in Pashas of Ha'i Avraham Avinu comes back from the Akedah and he finds that uh, Sara has passed away and he has to buy her a caver and there's the whole story of his uh, of uh, Ephraim he wants to buy the uh, the Mar, the Mar-, the Mar-, the Mar- the and there's a Machlechus Rishonim in in Avais in the fifth Perik Mishneh Gimel. Rashi and the Rambam learned that the 10th uh, Yainas, Avram had 10 ordeals, 10 tests that he had to go through, and Rashi and the Rambam both learned that the ultimate test, the last test was the Akedah. Rabbein Yainas says that this was the last test. When he had to go buy a caver for Sora, and this was the land that bunch was promised him, and he had to go pay, uh, buy it from Ephraim and pay him a lot of money, this was his 10th now Rashi in Va'ira, Rashi in Va'ira. at the end of Pasha Shemais, um, Moshe Kav, Rabban Shalom sends Moshe to Mitzrayim, he goes to meet Parai, and Paroi gets angry, and he says, um, you know, now what are you doing? Uh, you, you're making the people that they won't want to work, so now, before we gave them food, now they have to go get their own food. So Moshe said to Rabbi Shlom: "Lama harayoisla? Why did you? Why did you do bad to the people? Of course, he didn't think that uh, that, uh, that that the Gula is not going to come. I mean, Rabbi Shlom told him that Moshe Rabbeinu it was a novi and he believed the Rabbi Shlom the Gula is going to come. But why did you have to do bad? Why did they have to have you now? Just now that I come, it gets even worse." So Rashi brings a medrash that says, al the Avdin Veloimish The Ribbonshom said that no, the Avoice is, is a Vram when he had to go buy the the caver from uh Efrain, it was not he didn't question me that he had to be put through this and you say so the old ones you know too bad that we don't have the old ones the Vle one the ones that we lost and we don't have like them so according to rabbi niyana we understand why the Rebbein mentions this, because this was the tenth of the Nisoyinus. So he mentions this. But according to Rashi and the Rambam, that that the tenth of Nisoyin was the Akedah, and it was all the Nisoyinus were over, so why is he bringing this? I mean, of course it was a Nisoyin. And you know, the life is full of Nisoyinus. So, but why doesn't he say, you know, why did you, uh, why do you want me to take Yitzchak to the Akedah? Why did you make me go down to Mitzrayim after I came to Canaan? I mean, why does he pick this thing, which is, at the end, if the old Nesians are over, he picks this. So, according to Rabbeinu, we understand, because this is the last Nesoyim. But according to Rashi the Rambam, why is, why is Rabban Shalom point out this particular case where Avram didn't question Rabbi Shalom? I think the Peshat's like this. Avram Avinu went through 10 Nisyanas. The Rambam says in the Moira, a Nisayan is a test. When you test, you want to find out something, so you give him a test and you see what's going to come out. The Ramban didn't need a test to know if Avram was going to pass the Nisayan. He knew what Avram was going to do. He understood. What were the Nesayinahs? The Nisyanas were to show for the whole world that what he, how he passed this youngness, that would demonstrate to the whole world how devoted and loyal he was to Rabban Shlip. That was the point of the test. It wasn't to to get information which he didn't have, of course. However, I think that the, that the, the tennis youngness were a process. I don't, I don't know if, if the, if, if Avram had given the Nisayan of the Akedah, the first one, I don't know if he would have passed it. But each Nisoyin was a stage, so first he gave him the first Nesayid, which Rabban knew he would pass. And when Avram passed it, from that he grew. Rabban Shem knew he would do it, and he did it, and from that... He grew and became bigger, and so the second nesoyin, the third nesoyin, so each nesoyin that he passed, he became bigger and bigger until he reached the tenth nesoyin. He reached the akedah, and then when he passed the uh, past demonstrations of the world, passed the tenth nesoyin, then Rebbe said, "Ata yodati yirei Now I know that you are yirei Likim. So during the tenth yonus. Avram wouldn't question the rabbi Nishleilam. rabbi Nishleilam is is, is, going, is doing something. He's going through a process of demonstrating to the world that how you have to be devoted to the rabbi Nishleilam. So there's no question. The rabbi Nishleilam is giving him a test to show the world what to do. But now, after the 10th Nisoyen, and we're finished, and ato yodati, we know, we come to the conclusion, it's over. And now I need this Nisoyen? Then he could have questioned the rabbi what's the point of this nesayin? The other nesayin is, I understand what the point is. I'm not going to question, those nesayin are to bring me to a level and to demonstrate to the people who the level that I've reached. But now I've reached that level already and I'm Yirei Lakim. so why do I have to go through this nesayin? That's what he could have said. But he didn't say it. He didn't question the rabbi Neshelayam. Maish Benu, when, you know, he was cared very much for Kal Yisrael, And he went to kill the Mitzri and had to run away. The Shalom sent him. He told him, you're going to go. You're going to take, you're going to redeem Khalil You're going to take him out of Mitzrayim. He knew that this was true. He knew. He knew what's going to happen. And he comes down to Mitzrayim. And he's here already. And he's standing by Parai. And everything is all set to go. And now it gets worse. So that it got worse didn't make him question whether it's going to come. The gul has actually come to pass. Of course not. But he said, but why what's the point of what's the point of of of, of at the last point it should get worse? Why? That was that, that was his question, Rabbi Shalom. So, th- so therefore it really is comparable to this. You couldn't compare it to the to the uh, to the, in the, in the Siyanis, There was no reason to question. knew uh, all along, he knew about the Brisbane sorry, he knew. He knew what was going on. There was no reason to question. But it's over. I'm here. I'm being, I'm being paid, paid the college role. I'm confronting paroi. Why all of a sudden do we have to have a dip at the end? That was the, that's what the rabbi Shalom said. You and Meharach sai say. This point you didn't understand. You knew the whole process. This point you didn't understand. So he asked me a question. Aram asked me no questions. Even though the incidents were over and, uh, and then he went to a listen sign. He had no questions. So it's possible that Rebbein really is, is an interesting uh, shita. He's saying that this was the final uh, Nisayin. I mean, you would think that uh, the Aked is the final Messian, You know, theodatic, Kirill This, I mean, this is a Nisayin. Yeah, you have to go buy a kefir. But why is this the ultimate Nisayin? Why is it the 10th? Terence is. And by the way, that, that Rashi in in, in, in Va'eire brings a medrash. It's a gemara, and a of Kufir Aleph and Aleph. And Rabbein Yonah knew that gemara, of course. So Rabbein Yen is saying the ultimate test was that after it's all over, you don't ask any questions. That was the final Nisayan. Everything, 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 everything. And at the end, it's all over. And then you have another Nisayan. No, he didn't ask any questions. That's when Avram finished, when he did everything and he had no questions. Okay, now, so what happened here? So he wanted to buy uh, a caver, the Marsamach Palace. So it says Avram came to the B'nei he said, I need a caver. They said, yeah, listen, take whatever you want, any caver you want, um, you know, the seal of Kimata." You're very cautious you can take anything you want no not going to charge you anything. Th- then he sa- he says to them, can you please speak to Ephraim for me? So they take Ephraim and Rashi says they take Ephraim to elevate him to make him into a shaita, to give him a position, a government position and and um, why does Abram have to tell them to talk to Ephraim? Why didn't he go directly to Ephraim? He said, please Pingu be Ba talk to Ephraim for me. Why do you have to do this? And then Ephraim says to him, No, I'm not gonna charge you anything. Ben Rashi says, Ben him. Two friends. How did they become friends? They never even met. Now they met, all of a sudden, we're two friends. And then Rashi says that at the end he charged him four hundred dollars, four hundred shkolum like really good scholar And Rashi says that he said harbe, and he didn't even do ma'at. First he says he's given them for free and then he charges them full price. Now, this whole negotiation, this whole episode happened in the full public. Everybody was there, all the people. And, and, and the, the Bnei Ches told him you can have it for free. And he also said you can have it for free. Now, that he says, I want to pay. So he said he wants 400 shekel. Was that overpriced? Was it really worth uh, 200 shekel? And charging him 400 shekel? I don't think so, because how would he get up? How would he have the nerve and the chutzpah to get up in the front of everybody and say, okay, I'm going to charge you, but I'm going to double. I'm going to overcharge you. So I would think that the price that he charged was less price. It was full price. So what's wrong with that? What should he do? He should give Avram a discount. Why should he give him a discount? Avram was a rich man. Avram didn't want to take a shoelace from the He wouldn't want a discount. So he gives him the price. This is the price. The price is four hundred schkollim. That's what he charged him. Why is that mat in the oisa? So let's take a closer look at what's going on here. b'nei he came, the, he came to the bnei ches. bnei He spoke to the bnei ches. So they said, you know, you can take it. There, there are three players in this drama besides Avram. There's the bnei ches, there's the Amoritz, and there's Ephraim. Now let's see how they fit in here. So the bnei ches told them, you can take whatever you want. So then, vayalkam Avram veishtachul Amoritz of bnei now he's talking to the which means the people, the people, the peasants, and to the Bnei Chais. And then he says, go talk to Ephraim. To, to so Ephraim, Bnei Chais Ephraim is now among the Bnei Chais. What are the Bnei Chais? He's sitting among the I mean, the Chais was one of the Shiva Umais, but what is this Bnei Chais here? He's sitting among the people of Chais, and he said, he said in front of the Amorites, and all the people that came, that means including the amoritz. No, I'm giving to you in front of the Amorites. Oh, now Avram is looking to the, to the Amorites. By Dabriel Ephron, by Oznei Amoros. Now he's talking about Oznei Amoros. So then, so then he says, "Arbamei shekel b'eni v'enoch mahi." So, so Yishma v'roam al Ephron and gave him the money. I should diber by Oznei b'nei Ches. Arbamei shekel, once again, the b'nei Ches. I mean, here's the Amoros. Now he's talking about Oznei b'nei Chais. And then he bought it from him and at the end it says Now if he bought it from Ephron and nachuzah's cover What does this mean? So who are the Bnei Ches? So we find in, in Toldos, Rivka says to, to Yitzchak I feel it's going to be disgusted if Yaakov ends up marrying the B'noi's Ch'is. he told him, Don't take from B'noi's Knan." So she says B'noi's Ch'is and he says don't take from B'noi's Knan." And then... You have before Esav got married. This is before the the bruches. So he married two women. Both of them were nice ches. But in parshas VaYishlach, when we go through the genealogy of Esav. So he married So his wives, one was a Chiti, one was Chivi. And here in Taldas, one is, they're both Chitim. also have different names. One is Yudas Bas Beiri, one is Basnas Bas Eloin. And here they have different names. So what is, what is, what is going on here? So, Sforno says, in our Parsha, that the Bnei Ches, they were like the Shaitrim, they were the government officials. But, you know, he's, he understands this from the Psukim, that the seemed to be like the powerful, the elite. And Ephraim Yoshe Vesuch Bnei he was Elevated that day because of Rome's Covid, that he should be among the Bnei But in... uh, In the archaeologist, a hundred years ago, discovered something that wasn't known. That there was something, there was a Hittite empire. An empire of Khitim, a huge empire in this time, during this age, which wasn't known. And this empire stretched from Turkey down through Syria, Lebanon, and through Canaan. That was a Khiti empire. The capital was Hattusa. It's near Borgaskoy today in Turkey. This was a big discovery about 100 years ago. Now the Khitim were the imperial power. They controlled all of Eretz Israel. So anybody that worked for the government was called the Khiti. Anybody that was fra- part of the nobility, part of the elite, was called the Chiti. Just like um, when, when England conquered uh, India, made it an uh, English colony, a British colony. So there were locals that worked for the government. They worked for the British. And they were called the British because even though ethnically they were Indians, but they were British because they were part of the, of the power structure. They were part of the government. So the Chitim were the ones that controlled Eretz Yisrael at this time, and anybody that worked for the Chitim was called a Chiti. That means you were, you were uh, part of the nobility, part of the government. So Rizka said to Yitzchak that you shouldn't that Kasi B'chayim, that, if it's going to take if he's Rivka thought if he's going to take a local girl, he's going to take one of the no, noble women. I mean, they were a noble family. He didn't think that Yitzchak, uh, that Yaakov would take a, a peasant girl from Canaan, from one of the other nations that lived in Canaan, that the dominant nation was the Chiti, and the Chiti controlled everything. So she didn't think that he would do that. So she said, I don't want him to take nice Ches. He's going to go take a, a, a local a noblewoman, and th- th- I don't want him to do that. So ya- Yitzchak called Yaakov told him, don't take nice Canaan. Don't take anybody from here. Not even the noblemen, noblewoman, don't take a peasant girl either. Don't take anybody from Canaan. I want you to go to Khoran. That's, that's what the Chitim are. So getting back to our pasha, so Avram was a nobleman, Avram was a uh, very wealthy, a uh, a prince, and and he needed to get a caver. So he wants to buy the Maris Nokela and he knows that Ephraim has it. But it's not fitting that Avram should go negotiate directly with Ephraim, who's a peasant. Ephron was a peasant. Why should I negotiate with Ephraim? So So he went to the Bnei Chais, and he told them I need a caver and they said, yeah, you could take whatever you want. So he said, please talk to me, to Ephraim, because Ephraim is the one that has what I need. And I need to, need. so so what did they do? They took Ephraim, they elevated him to a position beside Bnei Chais, they made him part of the government, part of the imperial power. So therefore, it's fitting for Avram to talk to, to Ephraim. So he brought Ephraim and elevated him. So Ephraim says, you know, b'ni you know, he says, I'm giving it to you. Oh, okay, fine. And, uh, so later, so he elevated him. So he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I've become a chiti now. And the chitim have like a, a, a custom that if somebody another chiti comes and asks for a caver, they give it to him for free. It's kind of a noblesse oblige to other nobles. You know, this is this is the gedarah covenant. You're a nobleman. I'm a nobleman. You need my. You need a piece of land for a kaver. Not going to charge you. It's free. So that's what they told him. You could have anything you want for free. So Ephraim now is a chiti. So he tells him it's not a chiti. It's everything for free. So Avram told, He bowed down and he, he indicated that he wants to do this the way the Amaretz does, the way the peasants do it. That's what he wants to do. I don't want this noblesse oblige from, from one nobleman to another. I want to buy it the way the custom is the amaretz. So. So Ephraim said, We're friends. What does it mean we're friends? It doesn't mean the actual friends. It means that they're both noblemen. We are both of the same class. So if I'm of the, cl- the noble class and you're a noble class, I'm giving it to you for free. That's the, that's the custom, what nobility does. So Avram said, No, I don't want, I want to pay. So he said, okay, you want to pay? Arba mea shekel. So the price is arba mea shekel. Arba mea shekel was the list price. But that was the list price when one chiti sells to another. When a peasant sells a piece of land to another peasant, he doesn't charge him arba mea shekel. He charges him 200 shekel. But you know, anytime, you know, you buy the same suitcase, you could buy it in the... in, in uh, Target to cost uh, so much, and you go buy it in some kind of upscale score, it'll cost you four times as much. Because when, when you're dealing on that level, the prices are higher. So if, uh, if, uh, if a, uh, a peasant sells you a piece of property, he charges you whatever a peasant charges. When, when uh, a nobleman sells you a piece of property, he charges you a nice amount of money. So Avram said, I want to pay for it. I want to pay for it, as is the custom of the Amoratsim, of the, Amaratim, of, the Amaretz, of the peasants. I want to pay. So, so, uh, so Hefren said, okay, you want to pay. The price is $400, the Hiti price. So that's what he's saying. He was... You know, he said, I'll give it to you for free. And then, if you want to sell it to me in the custom of the Amaratsam, the custom of the peasants, you're sell it to me according to their custom because you insist. Okay, so I'm selling it to you. I want a khiti price. So I feel it. I feel uh, I feel a That's this, Maisha. The point of all this, of all this um, you know what lessons we're meant to learn with it? The Svarans speak about this. My purpose here right now is just to learn the psukim and understand all this back and forth with the chitim and Amaratzah and Ephraim, what was going on over here. Interestingly, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that during these talks, I would like to uh, also point out certain things to refute the assertions of the Bible critics that the Torah uh, was written a thousand years after Matan after Torah. So over here, when he bought the land, vayocham stayefran <laughs> hashem machpelah, vamara hashem boy bought the, the 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 cave, the moras machpelah, v'cholah eitz hashem basade all the trees hashem bchal gvolim sabed. He bought the entire shetach. Why did he buy the entire shetach? Why did Avram buy it? Why did Av why Avram sell it? He just needed the mara. Why did he buy? The whole, the whole property. Why? So again, we turn to uh, the uh, once they discovered the Hittite Empire, and there was a tremendous trove of cuneiform tablets from which we learned, for which the archaeologists learned, the the Hittite laws and customs. One custom, one law that they had was that if a person sells part of his field to another person. The seller is responsible for the taxes of the entire field, so Ephraim wouldn't sell him to and Machpelah because it's not going to be his anymore, and he's still going to have to pay taxes for it. So he only said, "I'll sell you to Mars Machpelah if you buy the entire Shetach. This is something that this, this, I think, is, I think, is pretty clear, that he had to buy the whole Shetach. This is because of this ancient Hittite law. If the Torah was written a thousand years later. Nobody even remembered that there was a Hittite Empire. Nobody knew ancient Hittite laws. How would they know such a thing that when you buy Maras Machpelah, you have to buy the whole land? So again, this shows you that the the Torah was written in its time. Many, many uh, indications. And as we go through the parashias, I'll try to show them as we come, come across them. Now, at the end, Achuzas kever, raised by He bought the the kever from Ephraim, and Achuzas kever he bought from b'nei Ches. What does that mean? I think I saw in one of the svarim. I think I'm not sure which one. That Achuzas kever means that that it's 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 dedicated to a cemetery. This is something that only the government can do. The government can say this is this is uh, zoned for a cemetery, you can't do anything else with it. So not only did he buy the kever, but he bought from from the, or he, I mean, he got it from the bnei Chais, from the ruling government, he got from them a, a, a decree that this property is miyuchid and mugdash to be uh, beis haqvaris. So this was a protection for him. Why? Because... You know, you see in the previous parasha, before the Akedah, when the whole business with Avram and, and Avimelech, with the bearers, so finally he got this bear, he, he dug it, it's his. And he put down seven kvasim by the bear, the as proof that it's his. So he had his kvasim. I guess they were... that they were recognizable as Avram's kvasim, And he put them down by the bear, so this was a proof that it's his. I mean, those kvasim. I mean, how long are they going to live eventually? Either somebody's going to shech them or they're going to die. I mean, what kind of a proof is that? But the point is that in those days, in the, in the whole safe of is we don't find writing. Writing was, was, there was no writing yet at that time. They had cuneiform tablets in certain places, but those were not regular writing. That was like a whole special process. But normally he didn't have writing, so he made a deal and he bought the, and and they agreed that this be'er belongs to Avram. How is he going to prove it? So he put down the seven crossum so people will see them and they'll see them for whatever it is for a month or a year or whatever it is. So it's going to be etched in their minds that this is Avram's be'er and it's not going to somebody's going to come along and say it's his. No, we know that it's Avram's be'er. So we base it with, the whole point was the memory. To remember that it was Avram's. This fixed it in the memory of the public that it belonged to Avram. That was the point of those seven classes. So for here, when it comes to buying the Morris Machpelah, Avram didn't have a deed that was recorded in the Township. He just bought it from Ephron. he paid him and he bought it in public. So everybody knew that he bought it. But what would be, as time goes on, maybe some people come along and say, no, it's not yours, how would he secure his purchase? So he secured his purchase by having the Bnei Ches to designate this area, that this, this piece has to be a cemetery. So people are not going to want to buy it, they're not going to be able to plant any crops on it. So it's not likely that he's going to have, um, that he's going to have iron, that people that would dispute his ownership because what are they going to do with it? All they can do with it is bury it, and bury somebody. So this was like another layer of protection for his purchase. He bought the of Pela, but the Achuzas Kever, he got that from the Bnei Ches, not from Ephraim. Ephraim was not empowered to do that. The Bnei Ches did that and they said Zachuzas Kever. So I just want to conclude with one thing Again, another thing with these, these Bible critics say is that something called an anachronism, that some, you tell the story and you, there's that detail in the story which could not have been possible at that time. Now, if you would say that George Washington made a revolt against the British and he captured all the airfields, there were no airfields, so it's a, that's called an anachronism. So, they say that there were no camels in this, this period, because in the archaeological excavations, they, 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 I mean, there were camels, but they were wild. They weren't domesticated. And in the, in the settlements, the, the excavations of these ancient settlements, they don't find any camel bones, which indicates that people didn't have camels. Today, you know, every Muhammad, uh, Ahmed, Khalid in Saudi Arabia has camels. But in those days, they didn't have camels. So how could there be camels? So I just want to answer this. They did find royal scarabs of camels, Eliezer but- Eliezer, camels with- uh What? Eliezer, Eliezer went to, at the end of the Pasha. Eliezer went to get a Shaddach, he came with 10 camels. So, were they camels? So I think what, what were camels? Camels were like, uh, normally people didn't have camels. Camels were like a royal thing, like a, a, ro- the, a, a king would have elephants. So he would have camels. Do- it wasn't something that everybody had. Where's the first time we find camels in the Torah? We, by by Parah, he, he went with Sara, and he gave him presents and he gave him camels. So Para was a king, he had camels, so he gave Avram camels. So he ended up having camels. But when he went to the arcade, they didn't go with a camel, he went with a donkey. Why do you go with a donkey? A camel is a much easier, much much faster ride. He had camels. Why didn't he go with the camels? There it is, because the camels were like uh, you know, a Rolls Royce, and you leave it in the garage, and people around you don't have camels. You don't go with a camel. So you went with a donkey, and the camels he had, it was part of his wealth, that he owned camels, but he didn't use them. But when it came over here, by the, by, so what were they looking for, Bisuel uh, and Lavan? They are looking for a rich he came and he, told, he didn't tell them that Avram was at tzaddik, he didn't tell him he was a gomachasadim, he told them, yeshleirav, rav. Yesh ra, ra, yesh he has a lot of money, and he gave this money, he signed it over to Yitzchak, that it's going to go to Yitzchak, and this is a really good rich shidduch. And so that's, that's what attracted them, that it was a rich shidduch. So because uh, Rivka's family, they were interested in the rich shidduch, and he told them how rich he was, so in order to impress the and the prospective in-laws, so he sent, he took the camels out of the stables where he kept them. He didn't use them, where he kept them. And he told the Eliezer, take these ten camels and go to Haran, and that's going to impress them tremendously. Who has camels? This must be a billionaire. It must be very, very wealthy, and they're going to do the Shidduch. Thank you very much, and hopefully we'll see you next week.